Hi, good morning, friends. Uh, picture the scene, if you will. On a beautiful, warm Sunday morning, Eric Tan smiled at the colourful banner uh, as he and his wife Daphne drove into the church car park. 20th anniversary of Central District Evangelical Church, the banner said. It had been announced a few weeks before in church, but Eric hadn't paid too much attention. But today was the day. Now, luckily for him, he hadn't committed himself to helping with the service or helping out with the lunch afterwards. He had fobbed off the organiser, Mr Lowe, by saying that he couldn't help out uh, because his accounting practice was a bit busy at the moment. Eric momentarily felt a pang of conscience at the lack of truthfulness of his own statement, but quickly put it to the back of his mind. I mean, surely there were other people who'd be available that day to help out. As he and Daphne walked through the church foyer, they noticed a display of photos and other memorabilia from the 20 years of the history of the church. Eric had been at the church almost seven years but didn't have very much knowledge of much of the early history of the church. And since it was still sort of ten minutes before the service, he decided to read the display. Central District Evangelical Church was a second generation Chinese church that had begun as a church plant from a rather forward looking a second-gen English congregation in another part of the city. A bit over 20 years before, this church had done some research and found out that in another part of their city, a new suburb was springing up that was attracting lots of people from Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China and Taiwan. Most of them were uh, professionals, accountants, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and so they decided to plant a church in that area. The first service was held in a local school hall with 36 people present. The suburb was also a growing one with lots of families and so it wasn't too long before there were 70 adults and almost 50 kids in the Sunday school. Things were like pretty simple then. There was just a Sunday morning service and a uh, Sunday school and the Wednesday evening Bible study. Mr Kwok, who had been a deacon uh, of the Mother Church, had been appointed to be the person who sort of coordinated things in the church until they could actually call their first pastor, which happened about 14 months later, Pastor Lau. Within three years, the church had purchased a block of land with the blessing of the local council, and then two years later, officially opened their own church building. Eric recognised some of the photos taken uh, on that day when the church was first opened. But many of the people in the photos had now drifted away from the church. Over the years, the church continued to grow with more and more programs added, a youth group, a men's fellowship, a women's fellowship, and multiple Bible study groups. By this stage, the church was employing not only a senior pastor, but also a youth pastor and a part-time administrator. 
these were great days and there was great excitement in the church about how God was working through it to reach their second gen community. Eric remembered those days well because it was during his time as a youth group leader that he'd met Daphne who was another youth group leader and they soon got married as did many other people in the youth group. Eric heard the band stand up indicating the service was about to begin and so he went and sat down with Daphne towards the back in their usual spot. As he quickly glanced around, he noticed that there were not that many people. The church wasn't that full. I mean, where is everyone? Eric thought to himself. Sunday morning for crying out loud, and yet he, he quickly felt rebuked by his own question as he thought back to two weeks before. It was a Sunday morning, but it was a, a beautiful, clear day, and he and Daphne had they they planned on going to church that day, but the, the weather had been so gorgeous and the, the water so calm that it, it seemed to beckon them to take out their speedboat along the Thompson River. I mean, they'd bring up James and Crystal to see if they wanted to come, and they did, and, and so all four of them didn't get to church that day. Oh, we work hard, so we deserve a Sunday off every now and again, he thought. And yet... The words seemed a little hollow this morning as he looked around and noticed all the empty seats. Maybe other people were doing exactly the same thing today. About halfway through the service, uh, Pastor Guo got up and introduced the speaker for that day. It was Pastor Nguyen who was a missionary from Vietnam. It had been tough over in Vietnam for his family Eric remembered hearing that one time when he was doing some outdoor preaching, Pastor Nguyen got beaten up by a mob. His house had been robbed four times, his wife threatened, and the church burnt to the ground twice during the 14 years of his ministry there. Pastor Nguyen was currently back on a short trip to Australia, visiting supporting churches, and his central district was one of the supporting churches he was invited to be the guest speaker at the church anniversary. His passage he was to speak on was Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And so Pastor Nguyen began reading from verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Pastor Nguyen gave a little bit of the background to his city and to the church. You see, in the 6th century BC, the city of Sardis was one of the most powerful cities in the ancient world. And yet fast forward 600 years later and by the time of the Roman Empire, it had declined to be a shadow of its former self. One of the unique features of the city was around three out of the four sides of the city were one and a half kilometres of rock wall making it almost impossible for the city to be invaded. In the year AD 17, so when Jesus was still a teenager, it suffered a catastrophic earthquake and was destroyed but with 
considerable help from the emperor, the city was rebuilt to its pristine glory about five years later. The city was comfortable, the city was prosperous when the Apostle John wrote this letter to the church which met in that city. Pastor Nguyen continued reading out uh, the passage from Revelation 3. He began again from the end of verse 1. Where it says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in my sight of my God. Hey, that sounds pretty harsh, Eric thought to himself, and he was right. Uh, Pastor Nguyen continued, there are two things that really stand out for me from these verses, he said. And the first is that of all the seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the church in Sardis receives the biggest rebuke, it receives the strongest criticism. For the usual pattern in each of the letters we find in chapter 2 and 3 is something like this. Apostle John uh, writes to the church uh, and actually has something of praise to say about the church before he gets on with the criticism. For example, to the church in Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. John writes, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So he's got praise for the church in Ephesus. Or to the church in another city called Pergamum, A few verses later, verse 13, chapter 2, John says, for example, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And we see it again and again and again. In six out of the seven churches, John has something praiseworthy to say about them before a criticism. But to Sardis, he doesn't have anything good to say. Rather, he's he's scathing. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The church in Sardis was a church who had a a big name, a a big reputation. Everyone had heard of them. There was lots of activity, but no real fruit. Just like many churches today. Eric's eyes widened as he listened to Pastor Nguyen, who elaborated. You know the sort of church I mean, said Pastor Nguyen. People gather together for church each week. They run many activities for the saved rather than for sinners. They talk a lot about reaching their community and and wanting to see people saved, but they do very little about it. 
They're too busy looking inward rather than looking outward. They're a lot like surf life-saving centres. I mean, originally surf life-saving centres were set up to save lives by the surf. But now they've become synonymous with alcohol and restaurants and pokies and a good time. I mean, they call themselves surf life-saving centres. But they don't engage very much in life-saving activities. Many churches today are no different. They might look like a church from the outside, but they're little more than a social club. They're the church of the living dead. Eric and Daphne looked at each other knowingly. It sounded a lot like their church. Eric thought back to a few years before when there were always plenty of people to help as Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders and, and Bible study leaders, when now it was getting harder and harder to find people willing to help. And back then there'd regularly been new people coming along to the church when now a new person was a bit of a rarity. And though there was still a feeling of, of busyness in the church, people didn't seem to have the same commitment to each other or to evangelism as they'd had in the past. And with all the sort of murmuring that had broken out in the church, Eric and Daphne knew that they weren't alone in feeling that Central District Evangelical Church and the church in Sardis had a lot in common. Eric and Daphne's eyes were, were glued on Pastor Newer now, desperately hoping that he could find a word in the passage, a word of encouragement and hope for such a church was there a way that it could be turned around. Pastor Newen paused and then looked around at the congregation of Central District before continuing. You might think it's all over for this church, he said, that there's no hope. But please read with me verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Uh, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! That's Jesus' main point to the church in Sardis. Pastor Newen explained. The church in Sardis had been caught napping. These things had happened right under their very noses. They had to wake up before it was too late because there was still a chance for this church to turn things around. Though the church was close to death, there was still hope. It still had the possibility of being resuscitated and brought back to life. There were still some good things about the church and so the church of Sardis was told to strengthen those things. 
Eric, while still listening to Pastor Nguyen, was also trying to process what things that central district, that they could strengthen and how they could strengthen them. He sort of began reading the passage again and, and noticed that verse 4 mentioned that some of the people in this church in Sardis are described as those who had not soiled their garments. Sort of a reference Eric immediately took uh, to think was, I was talking about people who had not contributed to the death of the church. There were some people who were contributing life to the church, who were living godly, obedient lives, whose Christian witness sort of wasn't contaminated. Eric immediately thought about Sarah and, and Peter and, and Uncle David and Auntie Lily who were seated in some of the rows in front of him. They were people just like that. Pastor Nguyen began to conclude his message with these words. He said, what the church in Sardis is meant to do is spelt out in verse 3. It says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. The church was not merely meant to listen to God's word. They were meant to think about it and to feel it and to do it. The church at Sardis had received the gospel message about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and how forgiveness of sins is given to those who put their trust in him. They were never to forget this. They were never to move beyond this and go chasing after some other doctrine. And as they clung to these precious truths, they would once again become passionate about other people hearing the gospel message. They would become a life-saving church once again rather than simply a social club. They were also to be obedient to the gospel and to repent of their waywardness, their apathy, their half-heartedness, their lack of commitment, their sort of Christianity light, their lack of enthusiasm, their mediocrity, their comfortableness. Pastor Nguyen prayed and then sat down. Eric and Daphne sat there quietly after the service, as did many others. Some were close to tears, but they all knew that the church had gone off track and needed to do something now before it was too late. The deacons of the church called for a church meeting the following week to discuss the health of the church. Certainly during that week, word got out about the sermon of Pastor Nguyen and others had listened to it online. So by the time they had the church meeting, most of the people had actually turned up. The deacons just used the church meeting as an opportunity for people to share what impact the sermon had had what they'd been thinking about and feeling during that week. And people just had the opportunity to get up personally to share. People shared about how they felt convicted by the sermon, about their own half-heartedness in, in loving God and serving God, their, their comfortable Christianity. 
and many affirm their desire to change. Not just for the church to change, but for them to change. And there was sort of an extended time of prayer in sort of small groups, in twos and threes and four, um, before praying together as a whole congregation. And the deacons widely, uh, wisely resisted the urge to just to do something, to try and fix the problem, like institute some sort of new program into the church to sort of you know, say, this will fix our apathy. They knew the real problem was with people's hearts. And that needed to be the starting point. There needed to be time for confession and repentance and people drawing on God's forgiveness and grace, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through their lives before even beginning to think about what they should do next. And so somewhat radical for the church, for the next two months, they cancelled all the Bible study groups and instead they met together as a church for prayer, weekly prayer meetings. Not only that, but people sort of spontaneously began meeting in sort of twos and threes during the week, either face-to-face or on their phones on video, to pray. As people prayed and confessed and, and shared more honestly and showed genuine care and love for one another, there was certainly a palpable difference to the quality of relationships within the church. Not only did church attendance grow, but sort of even after the service, people weren't in quite such a hurry to, to go back home. After a few months, the church leadership felt that the congregation was now at a better point spiritually and relationally as to begin to look forward as to what positive action they should take to move away from being an inward-looking church to being an outward-looking church that sought not to use people but to grow people in Christ-likeness. They focused on how they could become a life-saving church once again. And in doing so, there was great excitement in the church and the Lord moved powerfully not just through the church but through the people in their own lives and then through the church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's remarkable to think that a letter written to a church 2,000 years ago can speak so powerfully to us today. It's very easy for us here in Brisbane where life is good, nice weather, comfortable jobs, good friends. Very easy for us to have a very comfortable form of Christianity where there's very little cost. Heavenly Father, will you work in each of us uh, to be Christians who don't just say we're committed, but Father, show we're committed to people knowing about Jesus and to living lives that please you. Through his name we pray.